Well, good morning again. Our passage this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, going through the end of the chapter in the first verse of uh, chapter 4. And uh, there are easier passages out there, um, and I would have been open to them, but this is a lectionary passage, so we're going to go through it. Uh, and if you feel uncomfortable, just remember, they're the words of Paul. They're not my words. They're the words of Paul. So, um, yeah, it's an easy way to get out of it. So Philippians 3, chapter 17, beginning in, chapter, in verse 17. It says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So in other words, he's telling them, to live according to the way of Jesus, because that's the way Paul is pursuing. He says, For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and together we say... Thanks be to God. So, these are instructions that Paul is writing to a group of people, to a church in the city of Philippi, a group of people that he cares deeply about. And these are not insignificant instructions. These are not just filler in his letter to take up some space. These are instructions that he has gone over with them multiple, multiple times. These are instructions that are so important to him that as he's communicating this to the church in Philippi that he cares so much about, he even says that it prompts him to tears. And what concerns him is, is that these people who are a part of a church, let me say that again, they are a part of a church, the church in Philippi. This isn't just some random group of heathens. They're part of a church. And he's, he's writing to these people who identify with the body of Christ. And he's telling them, again, even those of you who are a part of this church in Philippi, there are two groups of people. First, he says there are enemies of the cross of Christ. Yes, in the church, he's saying there are enemies to the cross of Christ. I don't know about you, but that seems like a really brutal, brutal label. Does anybody agree with that? Doesn't that come across as really harsh? But that's how he describes it. And then he says, and there are those within the church that are also citizens or who have their citizenship in heaven. And as we've said, he is obviously bothered by this. He says he routinely talks about this. He says this is something that moves him emotionally that even causes him tears. He's so upset about it. So first, let's take a look at the group of people that Paul describes as those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, a very brutal name. Why does he call them enemies of the cross of Christ? Well, we have to remember that the cross of Christ, the cross, 
The cross. We're all about the cross. That's actually a thing. That was a real event in human history. That event has meaning. The cross of Christ is a moment of history when God, the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer of all things in heaven and on earth, that which nothing greater can ever be imagined. God, ultimate reality. God, beyond all reason, beyond all logic, beyond any of our understanding, he let go of all of the rights, the advantages, the the liberties of being God, and he became human, obedient, not only to become human, but to death, death on a cross. He died so that we can live. The cross is God's unimaginable, inexplainable way of giving wholeness and holiness to us, to this broken world. The cross is about healing and redemption and hope for eternal life. In our world that I think we can all agree right now desperately, desperately needs it. That's the cross of Christ. The cross represents selflessness, humility, sacrifice, healing, reconciliation, redemption, eternal life. Nothing like it had happened before. Nothing like it has ever happened since. I don't know about you. But on first looking into this passage and seeing this phrase, enemies of the cross of Christ, I imagine the worst kind of person imaginable. Someone who is always having problems everywhere they go. There's no regret. There's no remorse. But according to Paul, that's not necessarily the case at all. You can be in a church and you can be an enemy of the cross of Christ. Does that surprise you? That surprised me a ton. Because the cross, we got to remember, is not just some good religious symbol. The cross is actually about selflessness. Enemies of the cross, there are those who seem to be a little bit more self-absorbed. The cross is about humility. Enemies of the cross, they tend to be more proud. The cross is about sacrifice for others. Enemies of the cross are more about protecting what they have and taking care of their preferences. The cross is about the benefit of others. Enemies of the cross would be those who are in it more for themselves. The cross is about healing. Enemies of the cross would be about letting divisions fester. Redemption, reconciliation, that's what the cross is about. But an enemy of the cross would refuse to pursue peace, purity, and unity even in the church. The cross is about real and eternal new life. Enemies of the cross would be just fine with the status quo. You don't have to be a hellion to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. For example, in Jesus' day, the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so on, they were well-groomed, well-behaved, well-respected, well-resourced, well-polished people. But they had nothing to do with the way of Jesus. So these people who are very religious would have been enemies of the cross. The cross, the Bible makes clear, it's either you're for it or you're against it. And you can be for it or against it wherever life brings you. And apparently, at least with the church in Philippi, Being a part of a church doesn't necessarily mean that you're not an enemy of the cross. Again, I would have rather passed over this passage. I know it's hard, but this is where we're at. 
So Paul describes these people and he labels them enemies of the cross of Christ. And the first thing he says about these enemies of the cross of Christ is that their desire is destruction. I'm sorry, their, their destiny is destruction. Destruction is when you cause so much damage to something that it can no longer exist. You cause so much damage to something that there is no hope for repair. The cross is about restoration and redemption and reconciliation, making all things new. Enemies of the cross, their destiny, whatever they're about, is destruction. Do you know anyone who has, or maybe you have, ever done something that causes damage in some way? Anybody? Well, of course we have. We're human. People, you, I, everyone here, we're human. We make mistakes. We cause damage all the time. That's not the problem. Causing damage, being human, is not the problem. The problem is when the damage is undealt with and then it leads to destruction. It gets to the point where it's beyond repair. The cross is about healing damage. The cross is about a solution to our humanity, bringing reconciliation and bringing things new. That's normal. That's what the cross is for. We're human. That's what we need. But destruction, a destiny that's destruction, is when there's no repair to that damage. That's destruction. When there's destruction and it's ongoing, that's being an enemy of the cross of Christ. In their book, An Invitation to a Journey, it's a roadmap to spiritual formation, uh, Robert Mulholland and and Ruth Haley uh, Barton, they remind us that we are constantly being formed spiritually as people. Whether it's for good, the way of the cross of Christ, or for evil, enemies of the ways or the cross of Christ. They say everyone is in a process of spiritual formation. We're being shaped into either A, the wholeness and the image of Christ, or a horribly destructive version of that image. Destructive not only to ourselves, but also to others, we inflict our brokenness on them as well. We become either agents of God's healing and liberation and his grace, in which is the way of the cross, the cross of Christ, or we're carriers of the sickness and destruction of the world, which is the way of being enemy of the cross. So the question is, are you more about God's healing and reconciliation in the world, or are we more about inflicting our, our, our brokenness on others. Another description of those who are enemies of the cross that Paul gives us is it says, their God is their stomach. Their God, their ultimate reality, the most important thing in their life, what matters most is their stomach. Or as other commentators or scholars will say, it's their physical desires. It's their body. It's what they want. So the question is, how is our self-control? Our world says, if it feels good, do it. If you want it, get it right now. If Jesus prioritized his physical desires, if Jesus went after what he wanted, there would be no cross. Lack of self-control, giving instant into instant gratification, that's being an enemy of the cross of Christ. There's a story about a man, and he was at a grocery store, and he was picking up some items that his wife asked 
for um, him to pick up on the way home, which is always a, a nice thing to do, of course. And he was wandering around the store trying to pick out the different things that he needed. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've had this experience before. When you're going through a grocery store, you often run into the same people on every aisle, right? Like you keep cross-passing with them. Okay, so that's happening to this man. And the, per- and the, the one that he's crossing paths with is this other man, a dad, and he has an uncooperative three-year-old boy with him. And he says the first time they passed, the three-year-old was asking his dad over and over for a candy bar. He just wanted this candy bar. And this man, he couldn't, he couldn't hear the whole conversation, but he heard the son asking the dad, Dad, can we please have this candy bar? I really, really want it. And he hears the dad just simply say, Billy, this won't be long. No, we can't have it. We're going to be out of here soon. This won't be long. The second time they passed, down the next aisle, the three-year-old, his pleas and his questions um, became more increased in several octaves, he says. And the dad was seemingly so impressive. Again, the dad quietly says, Billy, just calm down. Just one more minute. We're going to be out of here and we'll go home. The third time they passed, they were by the dairy case and the kid was screaming uncontrollably. And the dad was still keeping cool. In a very low, low voice, he was saying, Billy, settle down. We're almost out of here. It's going to be okay. And so finally, the dad and the son, they reached the front of the, of the grocery store, and they're about to pay for all of their stuff. And, uh, and the son is now completely losing control. He knows he's going to leave this grocery store. He's not going to have his candy bar but still, in this dad, there was no evidence of losing his cool. There was no evidence of a lack of self-control. And as a boy is screaming and kicking, the dad simply says, Billy, we'll be in the car in just a minute. Everything is going to be fine. Well, finally, this bystander, he's, he's watching this dad, and he's so impressed by his self-control that after he pays his bills, he catches, he catches up to the guy, and he taps him on the shoulder, and he's like, Hey, Billy, that is so impressive the way you handled your son. Obviously, he's a mess, and you, know, you could have given up on finding the things for your wife, or you could have reprimanded your son, Billy, um, you know, in front of the whole store or whatever. And he's like, no, 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 you got it wrong. My son's name is Bruce. I'm Billy. <laughs> he was talking to himself the whole time to keep calm, to not react. Friends, that is self-control. That is not being a servant to your desires. That is not making a God of your stomach or your desires or your physical desires. And my question to you is, how's your self-control? Is it anything near Billy's? The other description is enemies of the cross of Christ is that their glory is in their shame. Think about that phrase. Their glory is in their shame. We live in a world where oftentimes the things that we should probably be ashamed of tend to be the things that we actually capture pride with. Have you seen this before? Their glory is their shame. White supremacy groups, shameful, yes. Unbiblical, yes. Horrible evil, horrible history. But even to this day, it's something that comes out and there's even a sense of pride to it. Their glory is their shame. A couple weekends ago, I was doing a wedding, and it was a beautiful wedding, and it was great people, but I'm telling you, at all of the events surrounding the wedding, there was just a lot of alcohol. 
like way too much alcohol. And it was sad to see. And there was one older gentleman from the bride side who became friends from an older gentleman from the groom side. And they spent a lot of time over these days just drinking a lot, a lot of alcohol. And at one point, I was kind of talking to them about it. And they're like, no, 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 pastor, it's okay. You don't have to worry about my new friend here. He's a professional. He's got it handled. He's a professional. There's like pride to it. There was like a sense of accomplishment, like I got this under control. Their glory is their shame. Laughing when people demean the image of God in another individual for whatever reason, that's a shameful thing, but sometimes it brings us pride, a sense of feeling important. When what should make us feel shameful becomes the thing that we're actually proud of, according to Paul, that's telling us, that we're actually being enemies of the cross of Christ. And also, according to Paul, enemies of the, of the cross of Christ, their minds are set on earthly things. I wonder if you were able to chart your thoughts of out this past week. I wonder what received more of your mind share. Was it things that had to do with the kingdom of this world or things that had to do more with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? How much of your time was dedicated to Fox News or CNN or ESPN or just staring at the news feed and whatever your favorite device is, as compared to other things like going for a walk or solitude or prayer or time in scripture or time of encouragement with a close friend? I remember the director of the Billy Graham Foundation on the radio one day, he was being interviewed and he said, Christians are far more formed these days by cable news by things of this world than they are ever by church or scripture or, um, or, or understanding who Jesus was. And so enemies of the cross of Christ, they were people in the church of Philippi. And it bothered Paul so much that he talked to them all about it. And it even led him to the point of exhaustion and tears. And he describes them as those whose destiny is destruction. People whose God is their stomach. People whose glory is actually in shameful things. And people who tend to focus on the things of this world as opposed to the things of the kingdom of God. And then Paul reminds us that we're actually not supposed to be enemies of the cross of Christ. We're supposed to be people whose citizenship is in heaven. Stanley Haueros, he talks a lot about this in his book, Resident Aliens. He explores this idea of living in this world for the purposes of his book. He's talking about living in the United States of America, but it could be in any country, and having ultimate, ultimate citizenship, ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven, and obedience to the kingdom of God, no matter where God puts you. It's a pretty simple idea, and for decades it's been really, really helpful, and it's been resourced a lot to help Christians understand of what it means to live a life focused and committed to the kingdom of God. He points out that, the, that believers, followers of Jesus, who are committed to the kingdom of God, they should never, ever mindlessly be bought in completely to any limited human, worldly, nation, culture, whatever it is. He says that followers of Jesus, people committed to the way of Jesus, people committed to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they would do well to give a distance, 
between themselves and between the broken and finite cultures that we live in while still remaining in that place that God has put them. Thus the name resident alien. We live here, we're residents, but our true allegiance is to the kingdom of God, so we're a bit of aliens at the same time. That's what it means to have a citizenship in heaven. It was interesting as I was preparing this, I I was called to mind yesterday when I read this email that our denomination just sent out um, an email encouraging us to pray for what's going on in Ukraine. And they said that through their contacts with people in Ukraine, one of the things that we can be praying for specifically is for the Russian Orthodox Church to take a strong stand against what is going on in Russia. Essentially, that's asking us to pray for the Russian Orthodox Church to see themselves as resident aliens, right? They're living in Russia. God has called them to Russia, but not to put their ultimate allegiance in what is going on in that terror, but to put their ultimate allegiance into the things that God most cares about, which is peace and healing and reconciliation and well-being. That's what it means to be a resident alien, and our denomination encourages us to pray for the Russian Orthodox Church to take that hard stand. Also, those who have a residence in heaven, it says they eagerly await from the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. People who are concerned for the values of the kingdom of God, citizens of heaven, as Paul talks about, they wait for, they pray for, they live in the reality right now that God is finally going to make things right. And he's going to do it with the same power that he used to bring everything under his control. Jesus is going to bring everything under his control in order to bring things about for the original purpose transformation, reconciliation, redemption. We wait for Jesus to finally make things right. Jesus is about the transforming of our lowly bodies into God's intended purpose that he had from the beginning. And our transformation is not just something that takes place in the future. It actually starts right now. John Ortberg, he talks about this in his, uh, in his book, The Life You Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. And he says this, there is an immense difference between training to do something and trying harder to do something. He says our transformation, it starts now, and it's not a matter of trying harder, but on training wisely. He says this is what Paul means when he encourages Timothy, his young protege, to train yourself in godliness. For us to be godly, we need to remember that for us to be transformed, there is always a call on our lives. What's God's desire for you? What's God's desire for me? It's not always huge. It could be just loving God and loving others. There's a call for each of us. There's always fear to that call. God is always calling us to something different. God is always calling us to change in some way. There's always reassurance. It's God coming through and saying, my presence is with you. I've given you what you need to do this. There's always a decision. 
There's always a changed life. There's always the opportunity to say yes. And when we do, we grow and we learn, even from our failures. And because of this, we begin to become a part of God's redemption of the world. But there is also, also, there's also, in addition, the opportunity to say no. And when we say no, we're also changed as well. We become a little bit more harder. We become a little bit more rigid. We become a little bit more resistant to God's calling. It becomes a lot easier to say no again the next time. Whatever the decision, transformation is always happening. It changes the world and it changes our world and everyone our life touches. And so may we be people who say yes to growth and transformation and the change that God wants to bring in our lives. May we be resident aliens. May we be people who are citizens in the kingdom of God. And may we say no to a destiny of destruction. May we say no to this idea of our God being our stomach. May we say no to uh, the things that should make us feel shameful actually being the things that we're proud of. And may we say no to having our eyes only on the worldly things of life. May we say yes to being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. May that be true of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I was preparing this sermon, like I said, I didn't find it to be a terribly easy passage because when I looked at the ways that he described, Paul describes enemies of the cross, you know, um, people who are, are prone to be destructive. Well, check, I've done that before. Um, people who try to satisfy what they want are a little bit self-absorbed. Well, check, I've done that before. Um, people who, the thing that we should be shameful about are actually the thing that sometimes we're, we're prideful about. Well, I've done that before. You know, someone who is more focused on the things of this world rather than the things of the kingdom of God. Well, check, I've done that before. I found it to be actually a very uh, convicting passage. And I think that's the point. I think that the point isn't that enemies of the cross of Christ are out there. I think the point is enemies of the cross of Christ is, is us. And not always, but it's not us and them. It's, it's, it, it, it runs through us as well. And so I think as we read the rest of what Paul says, he's like, the point is to be convicted so that we give complete appreciation for the cross. Because the cross is God's way of healing the things that we're convicted by, and that is just a straight gift. We can't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And so we celebrate the gift of the cross, and either you're for it or you're against it, and communion is kind of that decision, that line in the sand decision saying, I'm for this or I'm not. And just because we don't always live up to it doesn't mean that we're not for it. It just means that we're human. But are we okay seeking reconciliation? Because that's what is offered right here. And so I would encourage you to do so. And so in order to seek reconciliation with Jesus' disciples, with the, with the people that he knew were about to, um, to, uh, to rebel against him, Jesus took the bread. And he says this, 
After giving thanks for the bread, he broke it. And he says, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you, poured out for you, for your healing. As often as you eat this bread, you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And he says, this cup is a brand new covenant of my blood. As often as you drink of this, you do this in remembrance of me. For as often... As you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, you will remember my death, which is all about his offer of reconciliation to us. And so we have these COVID-safe elements. And so I invite you to take the time. There's a wafer on top, and there's a peel, and there's another peel for the juice at the bottom. But this represents the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of him.